Just even in my life, I tried to just do everything the most efficient way possible. Because the key now is like you've got to that level, and that's awesome. Let's keep you here. In Counter-Strike, so many of the things are in the timing, right? Sometimes one second is way too much. Because I feel like some of my persona in Counter-Strike changed who I was as a person. Oh, what? Jumping double from Cone! Today I'm talking with Paula. He is a YouTube creator known as Mantruce. I believe he has around 433,000 subscribers at the point of this recording. And he also has done a lot of talent work in the Counter-Strike Global Offensive community, going to lots of events over the last few years. Now, I talked to him about his, his life as a content creator and the ups and downs that follow, as well as his history with injuries and his passion for martial arts and fitness and more. You may have noticed I've been speaking not just with players or talent, but others whose expertise serves to push the envelope in our continually developing industry. This is the DDK Show. If you enjoy it, subscribe on YouTube, give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, support on patreon.com forward slash DDK Esports, or simply connect with me on Twitter at DDK Esports. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Twitter, please consider mentioning ideas, people, or topics you find interesting. This is still a side project for me, and the positive support really helps. And now, here's my conversation with Paula. All right, thanks for uh, coming and sitting down with me, Paula. It's, it's awesome to, to actually record a podcast with you. And I think one of the reasons is because we have a pretty great rapport. We've known each other for a while and we, we have some similar interests. So I'm, I'm excited for this. Thanks, Dan. I'm looking forward to chatting. And that was a very nice introduction. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Um, so, so you just been, you know, you just effectively been at the martial arts gym, and yeah, you know, dude, I have. Martial arts is something that's been is um, something you know I really loved growing up, and I had to kind of stop because of an injury, and and I've kind of been thinking about getting back into it recently because I'm I'm doing much better, uh, like ten years on. And, uh, you know, you've been someone that's, that you, you've had lots of injuries as well and specifically mm-hmm. with your back and everything, and you've just been getting back into martial arts. So what, what does that like kind of changed for you uh, in terms of the way that you live your life and how you feel about yourself and everything? Yeah. Firstly, Dan, if your shoulder's better and stuff and your body is in the right space where you can start trying it again, you should as soon as you can. So you're in LA, there's lots of gyms, all different types of martial arts or mixed martial arts. You should find something that suits and give it a go, see how your body reacts. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking about the BJJ, for sure. Yeah, do it, mate. Do it. Um, so, yeah, uh, you're right. I, I did martial arts as a kid. I did Taekwondo with a bit of Muay Thai, ages like 7 to 12, roughly like five, five and a half years. And I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at university for two and a half years, or like two, two and a bit years for my blue belt. And, yeah, I had to stop at the end of 2012 because of – pretty serious back injury like herniated disc in my back that actually happened a long time before then but it just didn't get better i didn't rehab it uh, th- eventually i went to see someone at the end of 2012 that helped me a lot with the rehab plan a guy called Stuart mcgill he's quite well known in sort of like athletic circles and he he gave me a great rehab plan that eventually got it under control by the time it was under control i was yeah full time with YouTube and doing presenting stuff and I just hadn't got around to getting back into martial arts or fitness because I also 
enjoyed and was regularly going to the gym. And then I think it was some point in 2017, I started going, started going to the gym again, lifting some weights. And then there was that little voice in my head that was saying, oh yeah, try martial arts again. See if you're, see if you can train safely this time. And it was the start of 2019 where I started actually going to classes again here. Well, no, a bit before, like in London, like a tiny, like here and there, very irregularly. I think I did my first one back, yeah, at the end of 2017 or the end of 2016 at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in London. But eventually started regularly committing to it at the start of 2019. And since then, I've been doing, I guess, mixed martial arts, Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, both of them together. And I've been going to the gym regularly since the start of 2018. And it's yeah, it's a big change, man. It's nice to be able to do it again and know I can do it safely. It, it, it was a big part of my identity when I was at university in, in terms of personal identity. Like I really like going to jiu-jitsu, doing it. And when I stopped being able to do it, it was a big shock and sort of adjustment. And being able to start doing it again and do it safely, it's been, yeah, dude, it's awesome. Obviously, there are days like today where you go and you, you come out feeling, ugh. Like, oh, that was tough. But overall, dude, it's so nice to be able to do it again and add it to my sort of, I don't know, like weekly activities that I do along, along with everything else. And so it's always something that I've championed, like doing martial arts as well as video games and other things. And so for me, it's very rewarding to, to be able to do it again and do it safely. If that answers your question, man, I think you kind of asked me, like, <laughs> what's it like to start doing it again, basically? And I, I guess that that's kind of an overall view of it. It's 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 very nice to, it's very enjoyable to, to be able to do it again and start building those skills because they feed into other parts of your life as well, very much, martial arts. I think uh, I think you, you touched on a really interesting part of it too with how you mentioned, like, your identity, like, very much, you know, it was a case that you identified with it. And I think that's one of the, whenever you get injured, um, it, there's this huge, it's so hugely disruptive to to yeah. your life and what you identify with and from let's say a mental health perspective it's it's a challenge to um i found especially to, to tr- try to fill that void with something that you find is equally fulfilling because you got into that thing in the first place because it just kind of makes sense for who you are who you want to be so trying to reinvent yourself is is really tricky and i think um it, it can be difficult i think sometimes you you can never quite fill the void in the same way and so it's uh, like, what was your experience with that when you, when you were you know, injured and you, you didn't have the martial arts, like what, what were the things you're trying to do to, to get that fulfillment that you got from it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I, I know we've spoken about this before, so I know what you're leading me to answer <laughs> about, but uh, just quickly as well, for people that might not know, Dan uh, definitely personally relates to this because when he originally injured his shoulder, it's, that's like the main injury that you've had throughout your life, right? Is your, is your shoulder. Yeah, I fucked them both up. <laughs> yeah, well, what happened with Dan is that he used to be, you used to be a relatively competitive gymnast, right? And so I know that that must have been very disruptive for you. So you definitely can understand what I'm talking about, right? I wouldn't say that I was like uh, serious, but I was, I was, but you were going to a club, dude, and you were yeah. training regularly and stuff. Like it was a big part of your life. Exactly. Yeah. And I was doing a lot of martial arts and, and a lot yeah. of running, a lot of lifting. I was just doing a lot of really intense physical stuff, which was all I was yeah. robbed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, and that's kind of how I felt, dude. Like I felt like I'd sort of 
robbed myself or fate had robbed me of my i was never thinking of being like a full-time jiu-jitsu fighter i was like a decent blue belt who'd got his blue belt relatively recently i just enjoyed doing it but i did it very regularly i was doing it maybe four times a week or something a bit more with gym etc that's not a person called gym by the way i mean going to the gym uh, <laughs> and um yeah like it, suddenly having to stop doing that for, just just to, for, for complete clarity what happened with me I was in one class and like I had said, it, my back had been an issue for a long time. And suddenly I was in one class and I just had a massive relapse, like so much pain. I couldn't even ride my bike home from the gym that I was training at, which I'd ridden my bike to. And, and it, it, like, I couldn't do anything. I, I, at that point, after I I'd re, re sort of injured, it had a big relapse. I, I could only do rehab. So I was completely stuck for what I could do in my spare time. Don't get me wrong. I was still playing video games and stuff. But this was in 2012, so this was pre all my other work. It was just after university. Um, I wasn't employed yet, so essentially I had nothing. Like What I was filling my time with was jiu-jitsu in the gym whilst looking for work. And so then eventually I had nothing at that point. And it, it, at that point, like when I had nothing in front of me, an idea popped back into my head to try YouTube, which is something that me and my friends had toyed with in 2006, six, seven, and just never got round to. And that's what I ended up filling my time with. Before, I, eventually, I did get work at the start of 2013. But for like six to eight months, I was unemployed. And by and at the very end of 2012, I was like, and this was post the injury. As I started rehabbing it, while still looking for jobs, that idea of trying YouTube popped into my head, and so I started making videos. So just to um, add some additional clarity uh, for those who don't understand as i don't think we actually covered it properly was you know what was the what was like the the specific do you have any more specifics behind the actual cause of the injury so you know you had this you know herniation but do you know like what led to it or yeah so the, the funny thing with disc injuries unless you have like a very specific traumatic event let's say like a car crash or a massive fall etc where you can 100 see the underlying cause and again, guys, every, take everything I say with a pinch of salt, but I'm relatively educated on it. But nonetheless, I'm not a doctor. I'm not Stuart McGill or any other uh, well-known athletic back rehab person, but I, I've tried to educate myself on it over the years and continue to do so because it's part of my life. But as far as I know, unless you have a specific moment like that that you can clearly point to and say, oh, yeah, it was excess force going through it because of, I crashed in a car, I fell off my bike, whatever, it's usually to do with your back over time, repeating motions that because you have a back like the one you do, it, it can't really put up with them. And eventually the disc kind of gets worn down to the point where one of the bits might herniate. And a herniation is where the sort of viscous gel in the middle, which is what's responsible for sort of the suspension in your back, pokes out of the sort of harder bit around it that keeps it inside and then touches the nerve. And so for me, what my theory is, is that my whole life I used to twist and click my back like throughout my childhood and teens. And then what? Yeah, one day in 2009, I was doing that on my bed and I kind of kept going, twisting, and then I had like a little sharp pinch, not too bad, but then the pain from that stayed. That was probably the initial herniation, which was caused from many years of doing that twisting motion, which for some people, their backs can take that. You might have the genetics that allow that, but for me, either from doing it too much and or from having a combination of that and a back that can't really take that sort of strain, I caused a little herniation in my back. L5S1 is the disc that I have herniated. And 
I was also doing a lot of things at the time that weren't really good for the back, like doing lots of sit-ups and crunches, um, not specifically, not, not necessarily great exercises for the core, but definitely not good for the spine, like repetitive bending motions and twisting motions if you're doing like twisting sit-ups and stuff. And then obviously I started going to the gym. When you start at the gym, you might not know the best form for all the exercises. I definitely didn't. So I was definitely aggravating things. And if you do something like jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and you're throwing, you're, you're, you're having pressure on your body, you're rounding your back and overly extending your back in, in different ways. If, you're, if you have a back that's not got a great capacity for those sorts of movements or a pre-existing injury in your back, the, the injury will either stay or get worse it's unlikely to get better right and eventually it was getting like steadily harder to control and sometimes it would feel better and then at the end of 2012 i had a big relapse and i i would imagine it was just the original disc just uh took had taken too much damage and the herniation grew larger if, if that answers your question so I, for me it's like a passage of things over time not one traumatic event it is kind of insane like how the body's different people's bodies react differently to things because um i actually yeah. um i was i've been the pt that i've been seeing is, is also like a, a back specialist and he um he's he, he, he does uh he works with elite athletes so he's, he's really top tier i got a recommendation from uh, taylor johnson actually so you know shout outs to yeah, taylor johnson taylor. who's been on the podcast a couple of times so those are the regular listeners but um i uh i was describing one event i had actually with my back um from a deadlifting session where I like yeah. had a sciatica for like um, like two or three weeks afterwards, and like you know just just a lot of you know shooting pains. So I was describing just everything that had happened, and he's like, "Yeah, you just you herniated your disc, but you know you're like one of the people where why it just healed and you're fine." And then meanwhile, you know my my girlfriend who had a bunch of uh, different things, like she was a, a polo player, and she had like horses falling on her, and she was in a car. She had, she'd been you know bumped by some cars and stuff, and had some issues with that, and. And, uh, you know, she had a really severe um, situation with her, her herniation where her body didn't yeah. heal it properly. And it led to, you know, all sorts of very severe outcomes in that sense. So it's just so, so crazy how, how different our bodies are. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, I don't know if it's a common misconception or just something that a lot, a lot of people don't realize is that the, the differences between bodies and, and how you have to train around the type of body that you have, obviously you can start things off at like a generic level in terms of your training, but they'll become, there should come a point where you have to start doing things around how, you know, how you were born, right? How, how your body developed over time and, and backs definitely fall into that category. You know, some people have more of a, a lumbar curve. So a, a curve in their lower spine than others. Some have more of a curve in, in the top of their spine, a thoracic spinal Sometimes I can't pronounce that word, but you get my point, right? Is that all these things affect how you train and like the capacity your discs have for, for pressure going through them. And yeah, it, usually you have to adjust how you do things over time. If you start feeling bits of pain or, or whatever, or, or, you know, you, if, if you're, if you're feeling certain things, oftentimes you need to kind of adjust things based around how your body is or all or, or the symptoms that you're getting. Are you uh, in any way like particular about, let's say, the chairs that you're going to be using for gaming and stuff? No, so that's that's something that I find quite interesting and also funny is that I see a lot of people online talking about gaming, game for extended periods, but essentially what we're talking about is sitting for extended periods, right? And don't get me wrong, you can have really bad chairs and you can have good chairs, like a really bad, cheap 
chair, like a plastic fold-out WWE chair that's made for smashing off people's backs, <laughs> or like a Herman Miller or something. And of course, these things will make a difference. But ultimately, what makes a difference for sitting for extended periods is, is knowing like the right way to sit and also to get up from sitting at periods and, and things like this. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. You can't just buy a very good chair and expect not have any pain in your back. That's just not the way. Or, or your shoulders or, or your wrists or whatever. There's many things that go into this like the angles of your knees, your, your connection with your feet on the floor, your hips, uh, like, yeah, the, the posture of your spine, how you're looking at the screen, all these things factor into it. You can't just get a sick chair that costs a thousand, two thousand dollars or euros and expect not to have any pain. There's a lot of things that go into this. So guys, anyone listening, think about that before you spend a bunch of money on an expensive chair. There's probably many things you can do if you're getting symptoms in, in, in your body from pain, from sitting or playing games beyond just buying an expensive chair yeah and don't get me wrong i'd love a herman miller yo <laughs> herman miller sponsor people if you're lit out there send me one but no for for, for, for me uh, dan i was going to call you james for a second uh dan <laughs> for me the main thing uh, generally i have pretty good posture sitting i know that a good good ways to sit for my body on most things but for me like my herniation uh, is, is in my low it's in my lumbar spine and so for me it's about having a lower back cushion or if I don't have access to a lower back cushion, like stuffing like a jumper rolled up behind my lower back, or if I'm sitting on a sofa, putting a little pillow behind my lumbar spine and making sure that I get up and change my posture. And again, sure, I'm going on a rant right now, but the, 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 the whole concept of getting up to move and stuff, just to explain a bit why that is. So essentially, if you're sitting, actually, let me start again from a phrase that I got told once. It's a good phrase. It's slightly dramatic but it's a good phrase to know and to take with a pinch of salt sitting is like having a car crash at zero miles per hour and some people say that because the damage that you can do to your body for sitting for by sitting for extended periods and in the wrong way can actually be pretty damn bad right so if you take that with a pinch of salt but keep it in mind uh, and, and then look into it a bit in a bit more detail so at least with regards to the spine so when you sit for extended periods, right, and you don't change your posture, you don't move, and you're maybe not in an optimal position, the, the forces going through your spine will be going through the same points in your spine for quite a long time. And that means that the discs, they, they, they will be receiving, like, force going through them in the same point, which causes that little bit to get a bit weaker, and, and thus potentially causing more chance for like herniation or something like that so why for one of the reasons why you might get told to, to change your posture and to get up and move every like 15 20 minutes just for like 10 seconds 15 seconds 30 seconds is to stop that process of the same amount of force going through the same point that can potentially cause uh, or, or lead to injury it's so that you stop putting like the same amount of force through the same points in your body um, it's not just like, oh, get up and move. You, it removes the pain. That's kind of like, as far as I know, one of the the, the the important bits about why you change your posture and and get up and move. And it's a good thing to know, like a, a small bit of the science behind it. Again, Dan, I'm not a scientist, but these are some of the things <laughs> I've learned over time. I'm trying my best to sort of describe it now. So apologies if that comes across a bit um, mashed up or, or, or a bad explanation, but hopefully you guys get what I mean. Oh, for sure. And, and, and shout out to anyone else who also became suddenly very aware of 
like every vertebrae in their back and how they were sitting and like started moving around well, <laughs> whilst you were talking about that, about sitting positions. Yeah, you mean your, your, your girlfriend then, yeah? Oh, no, I was just saying that like when you were describing everything about sitting in the posture and your back and everything, I started to get, I started to like feel everything in my back and I started to get really antsy, like yeah. I became really conscious suddenly yeah, in my I mean, back. Dude, to give a bit more context as well, like after I relapsed my back at the end of 2012 and I went to see Stu in Canada, get a rehab plan, like the, from that period on, I had to change like every habit in my body that can potentially affect my back. Don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect all the time, but things that the average person doesn't have to think about, like for instance, how you walk, how you go upstairs, how you pick something up off the floor, how you sit, um, how you train, like all, all these things like that might not be clear to someone just watching me going through my daily life, but all of those things, if you mess your back up, like there, there, there are things that you have to start considering if you want to stop having so much pain in your back. It is um something like uh, you know you're talking about the uh, chairs and stuff, and I th- I think there's um uh, yeah uh, that's where we st- that's where I that's where we start on this <laughs> yeah. point right to do chairs. Yeah, I just wanted to like add something uh, to that because um, I'm usually quite vocal about chairs and so on. And I think in the in we we live in like a dangerous world in the sense that it's quite easy to be to be misled by marketing. Yeah, and, for sure. And and while you know there might not be any like blatant lies, you just may be led to believe things that may not be true. Um, and and so, for example, if you know, I always use the example in terms of um, when whenever you're assessing like how like what you know, what is the quality of a product. So let's say we're talking about like you know headphones. You know, which which company are you going to put your trust into first? Are you going to put your trust into a company that is a gaming company that makes all kinds of different peripherals and sources that you know the production and design of those to different other companies perhaps or are you going to go yeah. to let's say Sennheiser who have been making specifically like audio for like decades just because you're yeah. doing gaming with your audio doesn't mean that it doesn't still apply <laughs> that they're perhaps the best solution in terms of you know what you're looking for for an audio solution. And so yeah, for sure. I think the chairs, you know, that was like an immediate thing I saw coming out. It's like suddenly this com- these companies are like, these are gaming chairs now because we call them gaming chairs. So therefore they're yeah. chairs for gaming. And if you're a gamer, you should buy the gaming chair. So, well, what about the companies who've just been, because like you said, because you said it actually, you're like, it's actually just, you're not, gaming you're just actually sitting so it's you know what companies have been like thinking about that a lot and and from all this the the research and stuff i did on this i found that that there's kind of like this price point you get to where the qualities are really good really durable that you know and and everything like that yeah and then what you pay more money for is how adjustable the chair is that's kind of actually how herman millers tend to be okay um you can actually get like a herman miller chair maybe for like five to six hundred bucks and and that's kind of like the entry cost of like these are the quality you're getting that those quality uh, components, uh, great materials, and so on. But then it's about okay, which size of chair? Do you want adjustable, adjustable this, and how adjustable? Do you want the lumbar support? Do you want the headrest support? Um, do you want the yeah. tilt back? And like that suddenly, what the, that's what their chairs basically become like extremely adjustable, which just basically goes to show that it's there is no like one solution. Yeah, I mean, if they're adjustable, that I, I bet that that definitely. That helps because, yeah, to, again, to, to give a bit more detail about some of the stuff I was touching on before and why Dan is mentioning about adjustability is because, yeah, you have to, and, and going, I guess it ties in with what we we're talking about with regards to body types, etc. You have to think about, yeah, like how far, like the, the distance between what you sit on to the floor because that affects the angles in your ankles, knees, hips, um, the desk with regards to how your arms rest on it. Um, I don't know about Herman Millers, but if you're, you've got a chair and it has an adjustability for like your lumbar, 
all these things, yeah, they 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 can help your back, and like they, they they can adjust not just your back, but they, they, those bits of those little adjustments are, are things that you should think about. Whatever chair you have to, to try to, if, if you are getting pain in your body from sitting, all those little things come together. And yeah, if if those chairs are adjusted and they can help those things, that would be great for me personally. I'm not too fussy about the chair I sit on. It's all about having something uh, behind my lumbar spine yeah. because that allows me to sit in a relaxed but neutral posture so that my um, the muscles on either side of the spine, the spinal erectors, they're, they're relaxed because you don't want... Sorry, I'm going on all these tangents, but some people say, oh, yeah, sit on like a... What's it called? A BOSU ball? A Swedish ball? The big inflatable ball? Oh, I've right? heard this, yeah. Um, some people say... sit. Yeah, some people say sit on that because it forces you to sit upright. But the, the, that's sort of like misleading because, yeah, whilst it means that you'll be, you, you're probably going to end up sitting straight, it also means that your spinal erectors are going to get overused. And if they're overused, it means that they can cause pain in your, in your lower back and they can put too much force on your discs. So for me personally, I don't really mind what chair I sit on as long as I can put something behind my lumbar spine and I, I'm thinking about my posture and I'm changing my posture. That's fine by me. So, you know, one other thing that kind of ties into um, let's say back health and and all of this that I've I've kind of gathered from listening to various people is um, just like the the core like the the focus on core strength and I think that core strength as an idea is almost like a buzzword yeah. to a lot of people because it it kind of encapsulates it's like this huge yeah. umbrella term almost it encapsulates so many things it's also yes it can be misleading to people as well right yeah so, so how would you how would you like what's your what's been your approach to it because I, I actually as a quick thing i don't know if you listen to this but um joe rogan did this podcast with this uh um i think he was like a top eight strong man i forget what his name was and he was basically Troy eddie hall uh maybe he was he's basically saying how like he's yeah. destroyed like <laughs> oh no or brian um the big american guy maybe yeah he's yeah big american dude yeah yeah, he was basically describing how he had had so many like injuries and herniations, and like he yeah, destroyed no, his Robert, back. Robert, Robert, sorry, Robert Oberst. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, and and he, and he returned to competition. Yeah, sorry, dude, I get them mixed up sometimes. He's a giant, mate. That guy's huge, bro. And and he was and he was just basically saying, yeah, man, it's just like core strength. It's just like he just changed the way that he did all of his lifting and just focused like like just only on the core strength. And he even though he'd had all these like super severe like herniations and like multiple discs and stuff like that. He was able yeah. to go back to being a strong man. And the thing is, like, they, they do something that is just so outrageous. Like, the amounts of weight that they're lifting and just the ways they're doing it is just so yeah. unrealistic. So so when I heard that, I was like, wow, if this guy can kind of come back from that with, with the you know, it's just, just good training, that's, that's really, uh, <laughs> I didn't think that would be possible. Yeah, well, I, th- I think um, an interesting tangent to this, right, which I'm sure you can understand, and most people that take part in sports will have an idea or martial arts or physical activity, you realize, or some people might be aware of this anyway, there's a common misconception that athletes and people that are, their, their work is their, their bodies and fitness are, are the healthiest. And that's, it's a kind of a misconception because sure, they're, they're, they're usually the fittest, but often these people are walking around with some of the most annoying injuries, et cetera. And so, yeah, dude, like a lot of these people are competing in many different sports with lots of pains in their bodies that they have to get around because of their career and because their careers cause this, you know, the body's not made to like, you know, deadlift 300 kilos, um, regardless of your body type or weight. Sure, you can create the strength to do it, but yeah, eventually over time doing all these athletic activities, you'll get these things that can hurt and that, that will cause pain in your body and you can perform, you, you can 
essentially be a superhuman, but you'll be a superhuman with, with lots of pain in your body. That was a bit of a jumbled point, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to, to note, right, that these athletes that we look up to, yeah, that don't think that they're like impervious to damage. A lot of these people are, are, are having pains in their bodies that they have to deal with lots of rehab, prehab, et cetera. Yeah. Is, I guess, what I'm yeah, saying. There's always a cost, right? Yeah, there's always a cost. But go, go, going back to what you were asking me about, like the approach to like core or, or what core, core strength, or whatever it means to me. Is that what you kind of... Yeah, it's just, it just seems like because um, all the, the back rehab stuff that, you know, Dr. Brendan Meyer, who's, who's the, you know, the guy that's uh, helping my girlfriend out right now, is, is, is all about like just building up core strength so that the, 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 the muscles that support the spine and the back are able to actually take off all the pressure, basically. So it seems like that's the, one of the focuses. So that's why I'm asking. Yeah, how do I start this point, man? This is the we're gonna we've already started going down the rabbit hole a bit. I guess we're gonna really start to descend descend down the rabbit hole now. Um, so yeah, if you, if you get like herniated disc in your back, if you start getting pain in your back, that's not like necessarily muscle muscle pain, even if it is muscle pain sometimes. But let's just talk very generally. If you're getting pain in your back, your spine, some people might think you need to strengthen your back, which sure can be the case sometimes or maybe working on things that help assist the back sort of like the outside muscles or whatever but again guys take anything i say about fitness with a pinch of salt and never say i'm right or wrong about specific things but from what i've i've learned from like very well respected people in the back rehab athletic back rehab industry especially if it's herniated discs disc issues yeah it's to do with core strength and i'm saying that with like quotation marks and core control and so then yeah going to the next bit of i guess what dan's question needs is looking to address is like what is core strength what is core control on a base level for me and from what i've learned it's to do with the muscles that are closest to the spine and the muscles that help support the spine and when we say strength it's not necessarily how much weight can those muscles like how much weight you can load on those muscles before the muscles fail is to do with how well can those muscles support your spine staying in a neutral posture whilst under load uh it's about how well you can activate those muscles to help you do strength and athletic movements strength-based athletic movements but then of course beyond that core strength is also to do with being able to do motions with your whole body without what's the word without like risking injury no with, with, without um do, doing motions with your body without compromising the integrity of like your spine and like optimal movement patterns if that makes sense and so i guess that's an answer to like the first part of the question is how i view core strength and and what core strength kind of is with regards to the body and i can add something quickly to that as well yeah um this is something it's not I think... to do with like if you have a six-pack or not <laughs> it's not to do with like um sucking your stomach in when you do exercise so that your abs look better etc it, it, it it's it's not to do it's not to do with sit-ups or doing stuff like that and i guess we'll get on to that but anyway let let's let dan interject with his point yeah, so I think um, a good example, I think also from a shoulder perspective, that I think is something that adds, adds to your point is that let's say whenever you're doing so, like an overhead pressing movement, like the, you know, most people are going to be thinking about, you know, your delts and you're going to be thinking about, you know, your triceps and you're going to be thinking about 
Um, you, you know, maybe your core to some extent in terms of just like stabilizing the body as you push the weight overhead. Say it, Dan. Say it. Say and, it. Scapular retraction. Say it, Dan. <laughs> right. So, so, <laughs> so also, yeah. There's there's a, a huge huge degree of importance behind um, the the muscles that stabilize your your you know through the the mechanics of the movement of pushing overhead and if you don't even if the you have the muscles like when let's say let's say you're using a machine right one of the reasons why actually training on machines kind of sucks dick (laughs) is because you're actually removing a lot of the stabilizers and and their importance and so something like you know your scapular control and your rotator cuff muscles when you're pushing weight overhead is extremely important because what the rotator cuff muscles do is to stabilize the shoulder joint and so if your joint is not stable, what happens is there's a huge degree of over, overcompensation from the more dominant muscles. And then what happens there is then there's like this, not only will you lift less and will you be, you'll be lifting less in a more unstable way. So you'll be more prone to injury. So it's about like not only just like having the right movement patterns and mechanics, but also having the right balance of strength in the, in the kind of supportive muscles and everything else. And, and that's like, I, I think kind of adding to your point, it's like, it's like having like an energy leak when you're doing movements and then yeah. the energy has to, 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 to lift that, to, to kind of lift that weight it has to come from somewhere. So it's going to come from other places and then you're just going to have a really inefficient machine, which is just going to be prone to breaking down just like a bad engine that's not using its fuel effectively. And, and I think that's like the same with, with the, the core and the back and stuff like that. Like there's so many different kind of synergists and, and, and uh, you know, supporting muscles to any com- any movement you're doing because pretty much everything is like compound at that point. Like everything's involving like yeah. a huge huge amount of different muscles. So, and, but the thing is, is like you say, is you can see the abs, right? It's it's always like like this with you know human beings, I guess. Like you know, we, if we can see it, we we you know we can care about it. But if we don't see it and we don't have the knowledge to otherwise know that it's there, if it's otherwise invisible, like let's say before people figured out what gravity was or like you know, germs and, and developing germ theory because you can actually physically see them or have the technology to see them. You, you create the reality based off of what you can see and even, yeah. even though that's wrong. So, so yeah, that, that's why like I was asking about core strength because it, it's like, it's this really ambiguous term. And I think, you know, you helped to shed, uh, shed some light on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I slightly missed the mark then when I was talking about scapular retraction because um, for me, scapular retraction with shoulders is a good comparison to real core strength versus oh, I need to do lots of sit-ups because right. for, with shoulders, right, is that a lot of people think, yeah, I've got to strengthen like the, 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 the muscle heads on my shoulder as opposed to thinking about how tightly can I lock my shoulder into my rib cage to like protect my, my shoulder so the muscles can do the best work and so that my lat is activated, et cetera, if you get what I mean. But I, I guess we were kind of on the same wavelength, but I was just looking at one part of it. Yeah, and, and for anyone who wants to get nerdy i always like try to repeat these so i don't forget them but um these are four muscle four muscles you've probably never heard of but the four like uh rotator cuff muscles are the supraspinatus the infraspinatus the teres minor and the subscapularis so like obviously like these are the muscles where you like go onto a fitness magazine it's like here is how you train your subscapularis and of course it doesn't exactly work like that you're supposed to like isolate like all these different types of muscles but just yeah it's it's having the awareness i think and the knowledge that makes the difference it's cool what you said about compound lifts as well, because not that I really ever do these, but even something like if I was doing a bicep curl, I pretty much try to think about every exercise I do these days as a compound movement, right? Like if I'm do- if I'm still focusing on one small bit, yeah, like one part of my body, I need to make sure that my core is activated, maybe my glutes are active. It's, do you know what I mean? Like it, it, for me with, with the type of injury 
that I have, I have to think about those types of things. I've got to think that everything that I'm doing is all connected, even if I'm just focusing on one part. Same when I'm doing martial arts. Like, I have to think a lot about how I kick, how I, because, like, I can't twist. My, my, my spine does not have a capacity to twist. So everything I do has to be, like, around the hips. So when I kick, I have to bring up my leg and make sure that my hip and my shoulder are all aligned, and that, like, I'm turning from the momentum over my toes, so to speak. Like, I, I have to think about all of that stuff. And so I, I think it's cool what you mentioned about compound lifts and and when you, you i think your phrase was uh, i mean pretty much at that point everything's compound that's kind of how i see things man with, with, with what i do that i have to be thinking about my whole body even if i'm doing just a, a focus on one bit i also yeah for sure man machines like they're, they're, they're a tricky one you've got to, if you're using a machine you've got to be like for instance bodybuilders they're brilliant at using machines because they, they they know they have a purpose for them right right like there are some things that they can do with machines to to overload their muscles to get results to, to get more um muscle growth and and and, and their, their genius is at that but like the average person like you you have to know why you're using machine for me like for instance there was a, there was one point where um like i had an old knee, knee injury back in like 2011 or whatever and 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 for me like part of get uh, of getting good strength and motion back in it was, was doing just basic um what's it called man where you was just the the quad, the quad extension, extension or whatever, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, like very lightly, just things like that. Like it, machines, I don't think they, like machines have a purpose, but you just have to know what the purpose is and to use them the right way. And so I still use some machines these days, but yeah, generally, you, you, like I don't know, you ha- you have to know how to approach them. Is what I'm saying. I have a good I have a good comparison for for CS people um because i think you're right like machines are really appropriate if you're a bodybuilder specifically knowing what you're doing or like doing rehab um which is also quite very specific but but it's kind of like um just because it's easy doesn't mean that's where beginners should start because it's not like it's not supposed to be easy in that way when you're kind of trying to learn it it's actually very complex complicated and a lot of lifting is quite technical and uh so it's like every every bit of lifting is technical man i I feel like gyms there should be laws so that pe- quali- really, truly qualified people should only be the people working gyms and that everyone starting a gym membership should have like someone hold their hand for the first hour to show them how to squat, deadlift. Be- Sorry, Dan, I'm interjecting. Now, but anyway, getting me like riled up now about all these <laughs> different yeah. things that I've never been able to say publicly because we're always just talking about video games, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but I was just going to say like, it would be as though you're like, I want to be a great Counter-Strike player. And I'm going to start by only playing gun game. It's like, well, it's, it's <laughs> definitely not, you know, it's not the same thing. You can play as much gun game as you want. You can own got everyone in gun game, but you're not a Counter-Strike player. You're just a guy who's good at gun game. Even if you're in yeah. a server and using a mouse and keyboard and the rest of it. And it's, I think it's, just, it's the same thing with the with lifting. And and, and it is interesting too, like this, whilst we're here actually, because you're getting riled up, let's like channel into that a little bit. Because I have... Oh, I have, you're I have, trying <laughs> to channel into the deep dark corners <laughs> of, of Paula. Because I, I have my own like like versions of pet peeves, like I see people doing certain things. And, and you know, I, I definitely don't cast any shade on people because, you know, it, it, either you want either care or two, you're just, un- or, or you're uneducated. And it's like, it's really like a, a one of those two things, either you care enough to know better or you don't care and that's fine if you don't care. Or you're someone who's educated and and cool, or you're getting educated, whatever it is. So I don't really care what people are doing. But when I see people doing stuff like, I think the one that gets me the most is like fifty percent, like 
range of motion, like pull-ups and stuff like that, where people completely yeah. ignore the bottom um, 20% range and the top 20% range. That's something that kind yeah. of... Okay, again, if you're a bodybuilder and you're just trying to like, you're going for that bicep hypertrophy, okay, cool, man. You're probably on roids as well. That's you do you. But if, <laughs> not if necessarily. You're not... <laughs> Dan, I feel like we're in the deep dark corners of DK right now. I mean, that's, that's fine. Well, the, so the one, one difference there is, I don't, I'm not like using that as like, oh, these people that use roids and in this kind of a derogatory fashion, it's totally fine if people decide I'm to use steroids. Roids. No, I'm kidding, Dan. Um, <laughs> it's totally fine if you decide to use uh, steroids. It's just that the type of the way that you train is completely different because your body has a completely different capacity for recovery. So actually fundamentally train changes the way that you would train if you were using gear or if, you, if you're not. So, that's the only reason I mentioned that because because they're able to do stuff that's that isn't possible for people that aren't on the gear, which is fine. Again, like if you make that decision, that's that's cool. But um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, give me give me a pet peeve. <laughs> Dude, it's not it's not. I'm not gonna give a pet peeve, but just an anecdote from my life. So nice. It was one of the first times I was going to the gym, or like the first six months or something year that I was there. So like such a small amount of time, and I was like, yeah, man, I'm gonna start squatting. I need to start doing my legs. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't read anything online, like any good materials. Went to the gym, started squatting. Could instantly feel like the disc in my back was annoyed, like I was doing it all wrong. I had no tension in my upper back. I didn't know how to hold the bar. I didn't know anything like about the weight being on your heel, pushing with your, like, your, your hip, like all this stuff, keeping your, your chest big and pushing with your bar. All, all this stuff, dude, like without getting into detail of how to do a proper squat. Um, for anyone out there, by the way, I learned eventually through looking at strong lifts. It's a great beginner's way to learn about lifting. And he has that, that guy has great resources on how to do exercises in a pretty good way, a pretty good, good way. Um, I used to look at Mark Ripito stuff as well. Um, just if, before you start doing lifts, find out how to do them properly from trusted sources online anyway. So yeah, I remember one time I was squatting and I was friendly with people at the gym and someone came over, he's like, no, nah, man, you're squatting all wrong. And I, again, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. So I'm like, yeah, sure, man, show me what to do. So he, he was like, he gets under the bar. And so if anyone out there listening to this knows how to squat properly, just listen to how fucking ridiculous this is. <laughs> I can't wait was this. like, okay, so what you do, you go down. And then when you get to parallel, like when you get to parallel at the bottom, when you're in the hole, you try to shift the weight onto your toes so that your heels come up. So then you can like slam your heels back down to like push up. And I'm like, yo, I'm like, yo, I get it, man. This is sick. So I start doing it and I start developing like knee pain. It's worse for my lower back. There's no stability. And like, yeah, dude, like I thought that was normal. Right. And like, this is why I'm saying like, I feel like if you're going to the gym for the first time, find trusted sources on how to do stuff, start following those. Or if it, or yeah, in the perfect world, every gym would have properly, like the staff would know how to do all of this stuff perfectly. And they'd teach people, there'd be mandatory teaching at the start because otherwise, yeah, you can end up hurting yourself. Like I definitely exacerbated my back stuff through poor form in the gym and not knowing when I was doing jujitsu that I can't do specific things. Wait, because for instance, these days, yeah, when I'm fighting, bro, and when I'm training and drilling, there are things that I just can't do anymore. Like I can't do inverted guard or whatever. I can't like throw my leg up and, and do triangles like sloppily, all this stuff. I can't punch and twist my, my, my spine. I have to do everything from the hips. Like if you, it's like, yeah, man, like if someone had told me that stuff earlier on and I wasn't doing ridiculous shit that other people show me in the gym, like trying to squat on my toes, right? Then I could slam my heels <laughs> into the floor. 
like maybe I'd be in, uh, I, I would have not have aggravated my back so much. I wonder if that guy was just, just like performing an epic troll or something. No, dude, no, man. This guy was serious. Was, it, was like, he actually bro, huge was as well? Serious, was he? Man. Hammersmith. Oh, Hammersmith, um, the gym that's attached to Hammersmith and West London College. It's a gym on like on next to that. <laughs> funny times, mate. Funny times. Nice. I was born in Hammersmith. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, wait, wait, which hospital? Uh, actually, you know what? I don't know which hospital. I'd have to double check that, but it's on my passport. So it's official. Oh, really? Yeah. You could, because then you would have been born in either. What's it? Um, the hospital near where where I live when I'm in London, where where I grew up, which is um Charion Cross, or I think it's Queen Mary in in Hammersmith. Anyway, why are we talking about? <laughs> 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 anyway, Dan, you might have been. So, do you know who Jimmy Smith is? I know that's like a very generic name, but in the MMA, like Jimmy MMA Smith. is the context. He's he's one of the he's he's a MMA commentator, and actually, I, like he was um he was looking at because he's he loves like Starcraft actually, and okay. through a, a friend um who, who who knows him quite well, and and you know is a you know I'm, I'm a mutual friend of that guy. He's like that links me up with him because he wanted to get some insight onto. You know what is ta- like? How how would I start doing talent work in esports? Because he, he was thinking about branching out a little bit from his MMA oh, okay, talent work, cool. and uh, uh, the, the likelihood is that I would have heard his voice. Like probably, I've been yeah. watching UFC since UFC three on VHS in the nineties, and I oh, watch yeah. pretty much every event. I follow all these people like it's part of my daily weekly thing. You know, see what's going on in MMA. I'm massively hyped about fights tomorrow. So I, I, I I'm, I've searched him now. I I don't recognize um his name but shout out to jimmy i've probably heard your voice mate anyway dan continue yeah so I, so i got into a conversation with him eventually about just like you know uh starting up martial arts again and 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 bjj and he and and i was, I was saying oh you know but i'm a little bit worried because you know i've got these these injuries and everything and you should be dan you should be fucking <laughs> terrified <Okay. laughs> and, and he was like he's, he's just saying to me he's like hey man it just goes to a good, a good club like but the reality is that we're all all of us are injured. And when you go when you're about to roll with someone, you're just like, Yeah, this this is this is the thing that I have that's fucked up. What have you got? You know? <laughs> and basically like yeah. it is it kind of goes back to the point you're talking about before about how a lot of a lot of athletes, you know, again it kind of comes at a cost. And and he told me that he's he's he has he just like has sciatica like all the time. He's like, I got it right now. And I'm like and I was just like, whoa. Oh, mate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've met so many people that have, have had these injuries. And it's really interesting how people carry mm. them and how they deal with them and how they, how they choose to pursue their passions um, despite, despite them. And, and so that's one of the reasons actually why I was asking you about it and, and kind of your journey back into everything. Because I think that's really amazing. Like, actually, uh, one thing that, that uh, I've been able to do recently that I haven't been able to do for 10 years is actually uh, back squat because... Um, yeah. my shoulder, uh, right, rotator cuff, uh, my, my external rotation was just like really messed up. And I have like a asymmetric, um, sh- uh, shoulders in terms of the mobility. And so yeah, same. this is something that's, um, <laughs> one is like crusty and then the other one is like fresh. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is something that, um, I went to see this guy, uh, uh Dr. Brendan Murray, and he just kind of like, yeah. he opened up the range quite a lot on both of my shoulders and got me back squatting. Okay. And, and, uh, we also found out that like, I have kind of like weird anatomy, like long femurs. Like could, like could you long. not do the back squat because when you were trying to get tension in, in your upper back, when you're gripping the bar, was it just like too painful on your shoulder? You just couldn't get it in that position or what? Yeah, but basically, yeah. Yeah, I basically just couldn't hold, like couldn't get my shoulders in a position where I could like hold onto oh, the okay. bar. Um, do you do like pain. high bar or like low bar? I've been doing mostly high bar. 
Yeah, I was going to say that must require less flexibility on the shoulder, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, and the other thing too is that I was kind of, my squatting mechanics were, were quite poor and it's, it's, it's in part because of compensating for various things. And, uh, yeah. and, and also like I've, I've looked at so much shit on the internet and like studied so much about these things and mechanics that I'd also like kind of confuse myself um, with too much information. And so like he, he basically, he just said to me, hey, uh, just try to just, just, just show me um, like you just jumping, like just to try to jump as high as you can. And so I just like you know, did like a, this explosive like jump, and he said, "Okay, explosive that, Dan yeah. jumps through the ceiling." <laughs> ah. and, and so then he's like, "Okay, you see what you just did? Wow, with, you've got a great vertical, Dan." <laughs> when he like squatted down, that's how you squat. And I was like, "Wait, what?" He's like, "Yeah, that's how you squat." And because I was, because again, like, because I've studied like, okay, you know, if you have this kind of anatomy, this is like the different angles you're going to be at, and this is like the load that's going to be on your back based off oh, you know, you've got like this much dorsiflexion and your femurs are like this length and that's going to affect the, the load on your back and all this shit. And so whenever I was yeah. squatting in the past, like I would feel it like it was like a back exercise a lot of the time. I could always feel like too much soreness in my back and it'd be a limitation oh, okay. on on how much, you know, I would uh, force I would be able to actually, you know, get through my legs. So, so yeah. yeah, and then he just like helped me to fix my back squats. So that's that's pretty amazing. So now I'm squatting, back squatting again. So I'm loving that's that. That's good, man. Yeah. yeah, like, dude, get, being able to do those things again, it's a very freeing feeling. It, it's kind of like you get, I don't, I don't want to call them demons, but for for the sake of uh, discussion poetry, you kind of feel like you beat some demons, like, yeah, man, I can do that again. Because I can rem I remember that's what it was like for me. So, for instance, my girlfriend, she's a, a personal trainer as, as well as a, a teacher, um, like a secondary school teacher. And so when we started dating, we were going to the gym a lot together. We still go, but that was the, what I'm talking about is that when we were initially dating, that was, those were like some of the first times where I was like, okay, I'm going to regularly start going to the gym again and then build up. I built up over time. And then, yeah, eventually I was like, man, I feel like I can, if I'm on a good day, I can do a hundred kilo deadlift again. And like, that was dude, if you asked me that in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, even 2017, that would have felt like, like, come on, Parler, man, like, be realistic. And yeah, dude, I'm, I managed to do it. And it's like, you, you do that and you're like, like, you feel like you've achieved something that you didn't think was going to be possible for you again. And you've done it safely. And it's like, I'm sure that's probably how it felt for you with being able to do things with your shoulder after starting to improve it, right? Oh my God, yeah. Right now I feel like I can go to just... I can go so much further with with my physical training than I could ever have imagined I would be able to like because yeah. you just you just learn to live with like these limitations and especially like if it's something like a back or a shoulder or both or whatever it is or it affects so many other things it's not just like oh I have a dodgy back so I can't deadlift no it's fucking everything it's actually just everything yeah and it's the same with your shoulders pretty much it's like almost everything is impacted by this so you have yeah. to find ways to work around it and do this it, do is, so this sensibly. is a video that we need to do for my channel, man. Paula and Dan in the gym. I know <laughs> yeah. we, we did like us. We did what we did. Um, that piece of content for PGL at the major right in Krakow. Oh, Remember yeah, we were, was, yeah. But I want to do a real states. one for my channel, like a full-on, like ten-minute me and you cracking jokes and working out, having fun, and I don't know, like we can mix CS into it maybe or something. But yeah, dude, we should do this, man. Now that we're we're working out properly again and getting healthier or whatever. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, dude, like, I remember that for me, man. And, and especially with the martial arts as well, I guess, because even though it was a passage of time, many different things that caused the, the herniation in my back, but because the major traumatic relapse that happened in 2012 was during jiu-jitsu, 
that the first time that I went back to jiu-jitsu, it's on my Instagram, I, I did a post, that, and that was before I started doing it regularly again. I was like, oh man, I feel rusty, but my back feels okay. And then, yes, yeah, scroll on like a year, year and a half, start 2019, and I started, okay, let me start trying to do martial arts regularly again. And I started doing it, and don't get me wrong, dude, it's not like I go to training, I come home, and I feel great. It's like, dude, I still get like little bits of pain in my body and stuff, but if I train smartly, yeah, like, dude, I can do this. And if I give myself the proper rest, I'm, I'm not aggravating my injuries. And I remember, yeah, over 2019, realizing, dude, I can do this again. Like, I'm wrestling with people. I'm, like, punching and kicking and, like, moving around. And it was like, oh, dude, it was more, exponentially even more enjoyable than when I was at university and doing it or when I was a kid. And you feel like you've beat this thing that that had a, had a big bit of control over you. Don't get me wrong, I guess, technically hurting my I've always said this that technically hurting my back was what led me to the career I have today and so there's always that positive side of it but the negative side of it, it stopped me doing lots of things I was passionate about and then when you get rid of that bit and you're like I'm doing those things again it's like oh, it felt so good dude and it still feels good even on a day like today where I've gone to training and um I went for a double leg on someone and I got stuffed I end up on my back and they start wrecking me and you feel beat up afterwards, whatever, and you come home, there's still that part of you where you're like, man, I'm still doing this. I'm good. Like, I'm feeling good. It's like, it's such a positive feeling. I, I'm sure that's what you have with your shoulder as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think so. I think that was actually something that I forget, like when we had that conversation, but um, that in, in that sense, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you guys are listening, Paula and I have cut quite similar origin stories insofar as, when I got my injury and it took away a huge part of my life and a huge like and fitness was also like a massively <laughs> huge coping story. mechanism for me. I started producing I content on YouTube. I love Dan. What's that? Origin story. Origin story. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm sh- surely you can only use the phrase origin stories in like a video game or a movie, you know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it, it applies, I reckon, because that was like the birth of who we are in this and, and the, yeah, in the definitely. space that, that we're in now and, and the platform that we've created for ourselves um, it came out of that kind of pain and, and depression. And because uh, I, I don't know about uh, you in terms of depression, but I definitely like sunk into kind of a depression and, and the productivity of like doing YouTube stuff and, and trying to give value by understanding, okay, what is it that I have that I can get out there into the world that's going to uh, not only just like help people, but but um, help me to kind of even go further with with the, the obsessions and passions that I have. Like just that, yeah. that kind of mentality, I think, you know, that that's what definitely saved me. And and if I hadn't started producing content, there's no way I'd be where I am right now in the way that I'm doing it at least. So, yeah, I'm, for me, 2012, when, yeah, unemployed, finished university, couldn't do my, my hobby because of my back. I, di- I didn't have depression then. I was upset and I was frustrated and I didn't know what was going to happen next. But definitely then when I, when I started making videos before I got employed, I realized instantly, yo, this is what I want to do. And it, 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 like through, through my childhood, through my teens, through university, I didn't ever know what I wanted to do. And yeah, I ended up hurting my back and this idea of YouTube popped back into my head, creating content. And when I started doing it instantly, I knew yo, if I can make a career out of this, that would be the dream. And I don't know, like I, I, I had, yeah, I had a, a, a big, mo- I, I still have, but I mean, at the time specifically, I just suddenly had this big motivation. You feel like you have got something that, that plugs that gap. So whilst I wasn't depressed at that time, 
it's like it got rid of a lot of that feeling of, okay, what happens next? Then I had in my head, I was like, okay, I don't know what happens next, but I know, okay, I need to get a job. I need to keep making these videos and keep going in that direction. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a very fulfilling feeling of, of, okay, I've got something, I've got a plan now. Do do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think so. There was actually a moment I had, which I think is quite similar where I started doing it and then I and after like doing it, I was like, obviously no one's really watching your stuff or whatever, but I just had this like realization where I was like so excited about the whole process. Even though I had like, you know, less than 50 views on a video and, and you know, I had like one or two people commenting. Dan, your, just, your apartment's not burning down or anything Oh, no, right no, now. it's, it's um, yeah, we have extremely sensitive fire alarms. Um, okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, I had this feeling where I was just like, wow. I just, my mind started racing and, and I could just, I was like, I just, I'm obsessed with this, this process. Like this just feels right. Like this, I just want, this just doesn't, nothing else feels as exciting as this does right now. And I could, and I immediately could just see into the future and to see if I, cause I knew I was just going to keep pumping out this stuff. I just, I would just keep doing it. And I couldn't see any reason why I wouldn't just keep doing it. It seemed like the only thing that was, that mattered or that was important at that point. So, um, um, so yeah, it's, that, that, it, yeah, it saved me in that way. Yeah, that's that. that I, I can definitely say it, at least in part, that's how it was for me. Obviously, I ended up taking a break from doing my own content, but coming back to it over the last like six months or so, seven months, especially over the last couple of months where I've wrapped things up again, that's the feeling I have again now of like, dude, it's just good to, to be making stuff and enjoying it. And yeah, going back to 2012, as soon as I started making those videos, I was like, dude, this is it, man. This is what I want to do. And then, yeah, it became a full-time job. I started doing the presenting stuff as well. And it just turned out that way, right? I don't know if it's it was to do with all, if it was all to do with planning or a bit of luck or fate or, or, or whatever. But, yeah, to anybody watching, if there's something out there that you want to do, like, and you have a feeling like it could be something good for you, then go out there and do it. Like, don't get me wrong, I did end up doing it, but imagine if I'd started in 2006, seven. Like it, it could have been, it could have gone a different way. It could have gone even better. So if there is something that you want to do, don't hold it off like I did and wait for your back to snap. <laughs> just start <laughs> doing it. Start doing it, man. Just go and, and if you have a, a potential passion for something, yeah, try it out. You you have nothing to lose. And okay, so we talked about like uh, that you know, with with the body and so on. There's, there can be like a cost, and you know the mind is the same way in many respects. You know there is. Uh, so there are certain things that can be quite stressful or costly in terms of um, oh, mental yeah. health. And so obviously, although uh, producing content through YouTube for you, like for me, was very much a savior when we lost that fulfilling activity and we were in that dark place, and it brought, kind of brought us out of it. Also, you know, there's a lot of pressures and there's a lot of uh, pitfalls as a content creator, psychologically speaking. And yeah. obviously, you know, you you kind of, had uh you, you definitely stopped doing content i think for partly oh, I for that. some of those reasons <laughs> I, right i definitely stopped so what was your experience with that <laughs> yeah i mean to put this into context guys if you want to see like the full story which is like 40 45 minutes i have a video explaining that but if you want like a hash uh, a more succinct explanation of it trying to give you the bullet points so like dan said right like I, I explained a bit, I, I, when I, early on, I realized doing this stuff, it, I wanted to make it career. And um, by 2015, by like the, the few months into 2015, middle of 2015, it had become um, a full-time career. It was earning enough money that, that I could sustain myself. 
And then I started doing the presenting stuff as well in CSGO, in, in like gaming and esports. Shout out to all our CSGO friends out there. And yeah, 2015, 16, like 17, like th- these, these years were sick. They were awesome. Like looking back on them, I had so much fun and had a lot of personal growth. However, like at the same time, it, it was stressful. It, 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 it was reasons. But the, the main one for me was being, I was trying to upload five to seven times a week on YouTube. And oftentimes I was traveling like two weeks plus a month. And I was doing all of this stuff on YouTube on my own. Uh, for, for periods, I was trying to stream on Twitch too. So like, it felt like I had very little, little to no free time. And so whilst I was enjoying everything, the, the YouTube side of things was becoming, was getting very stressful. Streaming on Twitch was the first thing that I stopped doing because I just had no time for it. And um yeah, like just it built up over time and things on YouTube with regards to like algorithm changes and like the 10 minute video format, which now like I don't mind at all. But at the time, it was a big change having to make sure that your videos to be optimal in the algorithm need to be over 10 minutes, etc. All, all these things. And it, it was taking a toll on me. Like I, I realized it myself and people telling it like people close to me, my friends, my, my mom, like you just take a break or whatever. But the problem with YouTube is that it's like a treadmill now, It's with streaming as well. All, all these types of content creation places it, it, to, to an extent it's a treadmill once you step off it like you, you stop getting momentum and so you have this deep fear of taking a break but for me it was like around middle of 2017 like i was really feeling the effects of myself where i was really beginning to to don't get me wrong i was still enjoying doing it but oftentimes i wasn't and the whole point of why i started this why i had that initial urge to do it was because I wanted to do it as a passion, as, a, as creativity, and to express myself, and because I enjoyed it. And so when the, the negative feeling of creating my own stuff on YouTube, etc., started to take over, and on the other hand, I was still and enjoying the presenting and the CSGO and traveling and doing that sort of thing, I started to weigh it up in my head. I'm like, why am I still doing this if the whole point was to be able to do, have a career that I enjoyed? And sure, it's still money, but if, if it's coming at a personal cost, like a mental cost, like Dan was saying, why, why am I still doing it? I should at least take a break or like go cold turkey. Anyway, so going through 2017 and yeah, just gradually like that, it, that year exponentially, that feeling grew. And then Dan, you're going to like this because um, at the end of 2017, there was in my eyes, a legendary historic event right at the end of the year. It was face it's, um, I can't remember which season it was, but face it finals. And for whatever reason, I, I, I don't know what it was, but it's a great reason, in my opinion, that they, 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 you guys decide to have your, your finals in, in, in the Hard Rock Hotel in Cancun, on the beach, all-inclusive. Like This is like the dream event as, as talent, maybe as a player as well, big prize pool. And we, we got booked for that and excited to go. But the main thing on my head, I was like, the main thing in my head, was like, oh, mate, I don't have enough videos ready for this week and the week I'm going to be away. Oh, and I was so stressed. I was like, oh, my God. Like, And then suddenly there was this, that, that, that switch went in my head where I was like, this shouldn't be the main thought that you have right now. Your main thought should be, this event is going to be awesome. You're going to have a great time with a bunch of friends. And when I realized that that, that I don't know if it's – if this makes sense but when that coin had completely flipped when when that balance had completely gone out i was like okay 
I need to stop making YouTube videos because this doesn't make any sense. And at the time, it was, it was stopping making YouTube videos in terms of, okay, that's it. Maybe you'll go back at some point if you feel excited to do it. But you can't say, oh, I'm going to take a break for a month, two months, whatever, six months. Like you have to just like cut it off and, and not make it dramatic in terms of leaving a, a video or anything online saying, guys, I'm taking a break. Just leave it. And then if you ever feel like you want to come back, come back to it. And so then, yeah, I went off to that event and I had an awesome time. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was the point where I realized I need to stop making my own content because it was causing more pain than it was causing positivity then. And it's, it's great though, that you had the ability to do, like, to, to like supplement your income by doing talent work. And then you could actually grow that so that, you know, that could become the yeah. main thing. So you could have that break. And I think that, you know, I, I do wonder because you, t- you touched on the idea of, of just like losing momentum and how big of a deal it is. And, and it, for, for people who make their livelihood from it, it's such a, it's like you're... It's constantly it's, uphill. Even if you're one of the biggest in the world, I feel like, don't get me wrong, I don't know what the lifestyle of, let's say, Ninja, Summit, Tim the Tapman, YouTubers like PewDiePie, etc. But PewDiePie is a good example, right? He, he, he's even, he took a break recently. If you go back a couple of years, he took a break and uploaded a video talking about how stressed he was. And he has a whole team working with him on things. And he's the, literally the number one in the world. Um, like, dude, I feel like at any point it, it, it can be uphill and, and, and you, you need to find a way to do it that you, you don't always feel that because if you do eventually, like you're going to get burnt out. I I feel like it's unavoidable unless you can find a way to, to do it in a sustainable way without like losing too much of yourself in it. And yeah, for me, I felt like I was losing too much of my, my physical and mental health. Yeah. Like for, for instance, that, that it was like 2017, 16, where I started getting little feelings of depression and, and struggling with things that I wouldn't usually. And for me, it was, it was to do with feeling like I constantly had to, to create things and I wasn't enjoying it as much and feeling like I was, I was being forced to do it. And yeah, dude, I, I, th- I think that's what you were getting onto, right? Is that it's hard, man. People don't, sometimes people don't realize, don't get me wrong, you make the dream come true, like, like some of us have managed to do, which, which is amazing. But then when you're living that dream, so to speak, it becomes a reality. And, and fact is, reality has positives and negatives. And, and sometimes, like, those negatives can outweigh the positives, and then you have to reassess. Yeah, there definitely seems to be this element of, or this idea of control to a degree, whereby, you know, you're like the greyhounds at, at the race, and you're never going to catch <laughs> the rabbit, right? That, that's the whole point. You're never going to catch it. YouTube, you know, it's the algorithm. That's what the rabbit is in this analogy. And you're never going to catch it, but you're always having to chase it. And you don't really have have a choice. And it's it's one of those things where um, it's, it's, I think, really difficult for people uh, um, to to be in an environment where you feel like you don't have the control uh, of, of, of enough pieces to feel like you're not constantly just chasing after everything else. And that's, that can be pretty dangerous. I think um, there's this idea of, of um, uh, in, in psychology of like the illusion of control, which I had um, a guy who's team, yeah. team liquid sports psychologist on my podcast recently, he was talking about this um, and you know, we tend to, you know, it kind of goes into what I was talking about before. Like uh, sometimes, you know, we just have to make, we make our own realities in the sense that we only have so much information, even because we kind of have to act, right? We have to like figure it out based on the stuff that we have. But, but, but sometimes, you know, you might make bad decisions and how, how things 
how you handle things. And you may create like an illusion of control in situations where you don't have control, which then makes you have like this expectation tied to something that you think you control when you actually don't. And so when shit, you know, hits the fan, which inevitably will in that case, you you'll be in a really bad state because you feel this personal responsibility because you felt like you had control but you really didn't so like the ability to just like accept that and go with the flow man and all that kind of stuff is actually quite difficult especially when it pertains to your livelihoods it's very difficult and 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 for me like to 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 put this into context with myself it's like eventually if i think it was like coming over the the end of 2018 start of 2019 so it was like so yeah you like 2012 onwards every single day like every hour probably 60 percent or more of my thoughts were to do with content creation and youtube what can i make how can i be optimal in the algorithm whilst retaining my uniqueness and and creative control and like yeah eventually became like that, that grows into an that, that's like an obsessive behavior right and so then i took my break at the end of 2017 but at the time i was saying i'm just done if I never do it again, fine. I can be happy with what I've done. But dude, it took from that day. I remember it was like middle of 2018, I think, where I was like, well, wait a second. I didn't think about like YouTube stuff today. It took like until I had a day where I just didn't think about that stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm making progress now. And then like about six months later, maybe end of 2018, start of 2019, I started having the creative urges again where I'm like, dude, I want to do this again. And so then you start thinking, okay, how am I going to do this now? But make sure that you're just sticking on the positive side. Don't get me wrong, there will still be negative to things, but how, how can I do this with a, with, with, and, and make it an overall positive gain? And so me, me coming back to it, don't get me wrong, I still want to grow things again. I still want to yeah, but become optimal in the algorithm and, 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 and have that side of things going. But the, the main reason why, why I came back to, to making my own stuff is just to because I had that creative urge. I had that 2012, that 2006, seven feeling of, I want to do this again. I miss doing it. And, and of course, I'm still doing my presenting stuff. I, I never got burnt out from that. It was like, yeah, I, I can make my, my stuff again and find a way to schedule it in a way that I'm going to enjoy it. And, and that's the main reason to come back to do it and enjoy it. And yeah, of course, want to grow things again. But the whole point coming back to it now is to not be under that illusion of control is, is to accept. Yeah. Some, some things might be, might, might be out of the, the, your control and that's okay. And, and just to, to go with it and to do it because I enjoy it and to enjoy every time I'm doing it. So to speak, I, I think what you said about the illusion of control is, can, is cool. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've not heard of the concept, but I, I would imagine that, that the, the resultant way you should act from a discussion about illusion of control is that understanding that, yes, sometimes things are just out of your control and that's okay. And learning how to function around that concept. Uh, am I accurate there at all? Or Yeah, I think, I think so. I think, it's, I think it's one of those things where um, it, the problem with it is that it appears without people, you know, you, you, know, you don't wake up one day and decide, I'm, I'm going to believe I have control over this. It's just, it's just an illusion that, that you just create and it's, it's, it's not having an awareness that you are trying to control something that you truly actually can't and not accepting that yeah. that's the case and not then as, as you're saying, like just understanding then what it, what is, what, what can I control? What are the mitigating elements? What are the ways that I can kind yeah. of uh, deal with, with this chaotic world or whatever it is that you're dealing with? 
Um, but do, do you have a creative process? Like, because I know that, you know, that term gets used quite a lot with creatives and obviously what you do is really creative. You have your own, your own specific style and, and maybe, maybe, you know, you have creative urges, but you don't have a direction to them or, or, you know, what, what is that? Pro- do you have a process for, for, you know, creatively speaking? Um, oof, I don't know. I, it, it depends, right? What, what, what you mean by creative process? Cause for me, so like, I remember just before I was taking the break, like, for instance, I felt like I had to make five to seven videos a week. And I like to have a good balance of content. And so my creative process was, what can I do to fulfill the balance of content that I want to want to put out? And in terms of which games, what real life, comedy, whatever stuff. These days, because I'm not putting that strain on myself, I have to make X amount of videos. I recently committed to like one video a week because I know that that's... M- 100% possible and like the last week or a couple weeks or, or a few weeks I've done a bit more than that because I, I just felt like I can do that but I don't know if I have a I don't know if it's a creative process but it's like what do I want to make today how am I going to make it what's going to be the theme like how am I going to record it what kind of do I need to do to like physically for the video how, but so coming up with the concept, maybe I have like a creative process. But for me, with regards to editing, like recently I did, I did a video at Blast, right? Where I, where I went around with Tom, my, my friend, who, who you know, I think camera, camera guy, director. Yeah. And had a basic concept of what we wanted to record, but I didn't know how I was going to edit it until I started editing it. That's often the case is that you start creating everything for real when you start editing it. And, and, that, and, and my creative process when editing is yeah, dependent on, on what kind of video it is or what direction I think it's going in. So I don't know, I, I guess I have a bit of a rat, like a, I have a creative process, but it's not like a strict one. My creative process maybe is a bit unpredictable. Like recently I've been doing these Road to Global videos and they started off with just the gameplay and my face cam and stuff. And then I'm, I started adding some funnier bits and editing and so it's a tough question for me when you ask me if I have a creative process because yeah, I guess of course I do, but I'm not entirely sure how to describe it, or maybe it's hot, maybe maybe it's not something that I can describe. No, I think I think that's totally fair, and I think that you know part of it is for a lot of people is that they will have you know routines they'll have you know they'll they'll it might be that they wake up at the same time every day, go to the gym, then after sit down with a coffee, and then they have like this. 30 minutes on their balcony or something. And that's when they're just like, yeah, so, you yeah know, like, no, I do that. I sit and I think about what I want to do. And I guess that's part of what it was is that before I took that break, I realized I was forcing myself to be creative. Whereas now I, I try to let it come to myself because I'm not putting so much time. I'm not putting so many time constraints on myself, if that makes sense. And it may be the case too that, you know, in, in the, the, for the long duration of you trying to kind of force the creativity you, that you, probably created kind of a lot of different mechanisms in the way that you think about um you know the kinds of content that you create and and that subject material and you, you're just like seeing yeah. things like your brain just kind of knows what to pick up by just like looking at it dude subconsciously you build a lot of things like yeah i promise you i'm not making this up like these days when i make a video when i throughout editing it when i start getting to like the eight eight and a half minute mark of the video like I know that there's a, a, enough content to get it to like a nice 10 minute segment, 11, 12 minute segment. And I'm not doing that consciously, like just the way I'm editing it, it just ends up that way. 
And so, yeah, like that's just subconsciously like printed into my brain so that uh, just subconsciously when I'm editing, like, I, I don't know how, but just when I'm editing things together, the, um, they, they just end up the right length. And, and that's not because pre-plan, I'm like, that's not because I'm like storyboarding my videos thinking like, oh yeah, like this is, this, this is going to be 30 seconds or a minute. It just naturally starts happening. If, if that kind of relates to what you're saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really interesting in that sense, because, you know, the longer you do something, I mean, this is why I like, it's really important to, to like, this is why experience is a big deal. It's not just that, you know, you can say, oh, this guy's really experienced. He's got 10 years doing this job and this person's really smart, but they don't have the experience. They've only got one year doing this job. And, and, and the person's got 10 years. It's, it's about that like intuition because you're, you're taking in all this data all the time. Imagine if, let's say, if you're like a physical therapist, for example, and you've had the same training um, as, as all of the other ones. Um, if you've been at the job for longer, you have seen more people. And so there's going to be like small little things that your brain's going to pick up that maybe in when you're actually, you know, go, going and working on these people, like you don't, it's not a big deal. It's not pertinent to, for you to even think about that much. But then there's that one person where your brain just leaps to the right conclusion because yeah. it, it knows it, it puts all these pieces together, which you can't consciously, but you subconsciously you can. And so that's, that's like that into that expert intuition that develops over time. And I imagine that's what you, you know, you have going on. It's like, it's like, why is it that, you know, um, I would imagine so I would imagine that there, there's a level of intuition you get just from doing it many times because I, I've, dude, I, I've, the amount of hours that I've spent on content creation, if you're talking about theorizing to filming it, to editing it, to like releasing, and then along with the presenting stuff, oh, dude, <laughs> it's going to be way, way, way over 10,000 hours, which is like a, a mark that some people use for things. It's going to be many, 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 many hours. It's like, like yeah. It's, it's like um, there's this... Um... There's this great book, and I reference it all the time. It's called uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, who's a guy that won a Nobel Prize for um, this this book, actually, and this work on statistical intuition and various other things. And he, he uh, in this book, kind of describes um, how he thinks the the brain works in terms of intuition and th and how you how you think, like what what you're thinking actually, how you how you know he breaks it down, how it works. And uh, you know, in his in his idea, there's like this. This idea that you have this system one and system two in your brain, which is basically like the subconscious and conscious brain. And so you have this uh, this one area, which is I always mix them up. Let's say this, let's just use your your subconscious, right? So yeah. if if you if you look at like two plus two, like you know that that's four. Like that's that doesn't you know if if if, you, if someone asks you that what is the the capital of of you know France, you know that's Paris. Like you don't have to like look anything up. You don't have to think about anything. You don't have to calculate anything. You just know. You just yeah. know this this answer automatically. There's no decision being made. And and there's that that kind of fundamental difference in in the brain. Like like you know you just know something. And that's that's and so like when you're in a game of Counter Strike, um, game sense is the idea that you have so much information in the round, and there's about twenty different decisions you could make. But you but you you know you immediately instantaneously without thinking discard all the 19 options and you know that this is one option i'm gonna look here and then lo and behold the guy appears and you shoot him in the face and it's like yeah it's, it's just your brain's taking in all this shit all the time and so and so yeah you, you get a you definitely you have to have a feel for it so that's 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 really cool i do i do wonder um do, do you have any any ways you've, you've thought that you you, you want to do something new with your content or like to like a different direction or 
like you know you can see for example you know Sadikus has gone really you know heavily into like all the racing content after you know he has that passion and are there any hidden passions of Parler that haven't come out in your content that we've yet to see? No, honestly, not really, dude. Like, I would like to... I've always told with the idea of starting my own podcast. It's just about doing it the right way. So that's not to do with like, oh, I don't think I can do this. Like, some hidden passion. I'd also like to... I also get to do a lot of things with production companies, like, for instance, you guys, Face It, and other people, DreamHack, Starladder, PGL, like, all, all ESL, all, all these different people that I've done stuff with. I get to do a lot of the things I've always wanted to do. I'd like to do, of course, continue doing that stuff. Um, podcast, if you, so if you're talking about doing stuff on my own channel... No, there's nothing really that I've like, this is the thing, right? So when I started making stuff, it was always about doing the stuff I wanted to see. And so I ended up having a focus on CS because CS is like my main eSport. Like I love CS. It's part of my life, right? But then at the same time, I've always been playing other games, doing comedy skits and like talk vlogs, whatever. And I've always said to myself, I should be doing the different things that I want. I've never really missed doing a thing because I was like not necessarily too afraid or because I didn't think it fit or whatever. I, I've always produced the stuff I, I've wanted to produce. I, I intend to keep doing that. And that's part of what I've been doing when I come back, making a range of different things. Like, yeah, I've been, I've been doing my CS videos. I've done some real life stuff, played some Tarkov with Henry. I played some random game with Mojo. I uploaded a horror video. And so, no, there, there isn't like some some hidden thing that I've, I've not wanted to do because I always try to do the things that I want to do. And so, yeah, I, I don't think that, that there is something that, that would fill into that. There, there, are, there are more things I want to do, but they're things that I've done or things that I've done similar things to. I'd, li I'd like to do a bit more acting stuff maybe um, with other people. But no, dude, I generally tr do the things that I want to do. Like I, I try to make sure I do that because otherwise I'm not satisfied. And especially coming back to things now, like I, I want to make sure that I'm fulfilling myself by doing this stuff again. Okay, well, I think um, that's amazing to, to hear. I think I, I love the fact that that's that you're kind of dr driven in that way. That's just really, really good to hear. And you know, I think it, it's just like very awesome hearing about how positive your journey has been through the ups and downs that you've had and where you've kind of like, you know, you've gone from strength to strength effectively, ultimately speaking. But I think one the kind of last question I have to kind of begin to kind of wrap things up here as we're about to hit 90 minutes is how do you feel about your um, like managing your social media is that something that's challenging for you or uh difficult you have to put, is, is it kind of to some extent work because i know that your character and your personality that's you know from your your youtube and so on is consistent through a lot of your social media and you have like quite a like quite a sizable following and you know you, you've done really well to grow it and so on is it easy or is it difficult or how do you look at your social media so I don't know if it's hard, but again, if we're talking about doing things optimally, like generally it's good to have a presence on different parts of social media, right? And so you have to make an effort to, you know, post on Twitter, post on Instagram, post on YouTube, fire up your stream. I don't know if it's hard, but it's like a commitment that you have to be aware of and that you've got to like stick to, right? And so, yeah, it can be hard when, when you have a commitment where sometimes you don't always want to do it. Like, that's, I guess, me referencing the past. Whereas now it's like, I guess that's different because, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying uploading and posting everywhere and stuff. I, I guess I always have, but there was that period where on YouTube I need to take the break. But no, I, I don't think it's, generally it's not hard, but it can be hard. But you have to be aware that it's a commitment and sometimes you don't always want to do it. Whilst that might not be 
difficult or painful it can it's just realizing that you have a, a commitment to it and it's part of your your work luckily for me like i like to do those things right and coming coming back to posting on youtube i like to do it posting on twitter and instagram i've always liked to do it i've never got burnt out from that like i like to share jokes and stuff it's just, it's just something that i like to do or talking with other people but yeah at the same time of course yeah sometimes it, you have to like you realize that those are things that you're committed to because it's part of of what you do and so yeah while, whilst i enjoy everything that i'm doing managing your social media it can be frustrating a lot of people don't realize not frustrating or what's the word man it, realizing I, I keep going back to the word commitment it's just something that you have to do and and a lot of people that that maybe that, that this isn't their career it, it might not be apparent that those parts of it are part of the work regardless of whether you enjoy it or not do you know what i mean and so yeah i think a lot of us are quite introverted by nature so it's just like yeah. sharing your entire life uh, on instagram and and yeah. making sure that you you always have like pictures and you're you know adhering to the algorithm i think can be yeah. quite challenging for some and some people get kind of actually too locked into the i must get all the likes and all oh, this didn't get enough likes and all oh, i'm feeling bad yeah. now and yeah i mean so for me personally it i'm not like an introverted person i've always been social like enjoy doing things with other people like when i was at school i was like the kid in class that like made jokes or whatever but yeah like i i'm also not someone to like overshare online I definitely, when I'm online, like I'm being myself. I'm never like pretending to be like a character unless I'm acting in something, right? But in general, like if you see the type of stuff that I put on Twitter or Instagram or my YouTube, like that's me, dude. Like that, that's 100% me. But yeah, I'm, I'm not the type of person that feels they have to like share too much or do this, that, and the other. But at the same time, yeah, I, I know that like this is a day where I should probably put something on, on Instagram, on YouTube or Twitter or whatever. I can't, you, once you get into this stuff, you can't just like leave them to, to be themselves and just do it whenever you want. I, I'm sure some people can get away with that, but I think most people that are doing this sort of stuff as a career, even if you enjoy it, you realize you have a commitment to having to do it to, with a certain level of regularity or style of content, etc. I I hope that answers your question, but it's not something that, it is something that you can struggle with at times and can feel the weight of it. But if you do it the right way, then you can enjoy it and still feel like you'll be, you have your integrity, which is how I approach and definitely how I've been trying to approach everything coming around to up starting to upload again since, yeah, since I started uploading again on YouTube. Yeah, that's, that's really good to hear. I think what's, what's really cool is specifically, uh, you know, the like, get from you and, and your content and stuff and, and just like the consistency across the platforms is like you have such a uh, I don't wanna, I don't use the word unique it is unique but I want to use a cooler word than that because you would just say oh you know you have this unique thing um, but but you, but you have <laughs> your own style that you came up with see there I gave you I think I, I gave you more credit and agency with that phrase yeah <laughs> uh, you have your own oh, style that you, you came up with in terms of how you do your like humor and everything and, and I think that's like a a large part of how you have gone to such an audience and how you, you know you how you know how it's how they you know why they love you so much and your content so much because i think you did one of those things that uh, only some creators are able to do where they're able to basically almost create their own little niche and you didn't know that you needed it until you got given it and you know that's 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 a great quality that i think is something that i see in, in some of the the leaders of the culture if you if you will such as the people that you know, the first people that started doing YouTube cuts as, as they're known or the, the, the style that, you know, that, that PewDiePie popularized um, with the way that he, you know, makes his videos and stuff like that. So, so that's really cool, man. And, and I'm, I'm glad that like, it's, it's like hitting full swing for you again in, in the way that works for you. 
Yeah, you know, like full circle kind of how it's come for me. Are there any sort of um, sort of final kind of parting uh, pieces of, of advice or things that you want to say or want to talk about before we, uh, we, we close the, the podcast down? Well, firstly, Dan, thank you for, for those kind, kind words. I try not to like analyze myself too much, but it's nice to, to hear things like that said from someone like yourself that I respect and that I also know is knowledgeable with regards to these types of things. Like when I, yeah, when I started this stuff, it was just an idea that me and my friends had toyed with when we were teenagers and I'd got around to doing it because of the injury on my back or whatever circumstance at the time. And I quickly realized it's what I, if I could, it's what, what I wanted to do as a, as a career. Then yeah, like from that start, I, I just tried to put myself out there as, as me and showing my interests and my sense of humor or whatever, just me as a person and managed to, to make it work. And it is, uh, it's awesome to, to know that people have enjoyed you sort of showing just parts of yourself and, 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 and what you've created for them to enjoy and things that you've created for yourself to enjoy as well. And so, yeah, big shout out to everybody out there that's supported me along the way that continues to, to support me in doing uh, my own content and doing the presenting I do in CSGO and esports and gaming, entertainment, whatever. And yeah, Dan, thanks for, for having me on. To, to anybody out there, yeah, if you have a passion that you, you want to try, just, just give it a go, especially if you're young, like just go for it. But any age, you know, if, do it feasibly around the schedule and commitment that you have in your life and, and, and give it a go because at least then you can, you can try and see if you enjoyed it. And if you enjoy it, then maybe you can put in the, the work, the right steps and, and make it into, in, into whatever that you want. And I guess that's something that I always try and tell people. And I feel like that's a good way to, to end things here. And yeah, of course, guys, look after your back and your body. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you're sitting in the right way. Make sure you're, you're, you're protecting your back. All right, guys. And Dan, I guess that's about it. Awesome, man. Well, th- thanks so much. Uh, this is a lot of fun. And you know, I can't wait to like, chat, chat more together. Yeah, have me back, Dan. I'm down to chat anytime you want, mate. Yeah, for sure, dude. There's so many different topics yeah. that we can go into. We went pretty heavy into the into the the fitness angles today, which which I love because I don't ever get to really talk about that stuff on my podcast. So, yeah, dude, man, we, we barely even touched the surface, bro. I agree. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dan. Peace, everybody.